Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Without a shepherd, he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. As Jesus is ministering, this discussion in chapter 9 of Matthew shows Jesus healing the blind man, restoring a woman, casting out a demon. He, he, he looks at the need. The Bible records how Jesus was doing what he did, the three things, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing those with every disease and every sickness. Jesus didn't just come to heal the sick. He didn't just come to give sight to the blind, to, to call those who are lame to walk again. Jesus came to demonstrate that he was the Messiah, And those actions, those activities were the demonstration of who he was. He came so that he could give his life for mankind as a ransom. All of those things he did were Jesus' way of proclaiming, I am God in the flesh. I am Emmanuel, God with us. I am proclaiming, I am the Messiah. That's everything Jesus was doing. The Bible says that as he did that, he saw the crowds. And he looks out. And it says he felt, verse 36, he felt compassion for them. That word compassion, feeling compassion for them, it's only used in the Gospels. It's only used in the New Testament. I'm sorry, mostly in the Gospels and some in the other parts of the New Testament, but it's not used outside of Scripture. It's a word that means to be so deeply moved. It's from the depths of your being with this compassion that's stirred up. There's no other word for it. It, it Basically, if you were to take the literal meaning of the original language, it's gut-wrenching concern. Jesus feels that for the people. Because they were lost. And he he gives this description of them. Weary, worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. He knows that they need a savior. He knows that they need a shepherd. He knows that they're lost. And we've said that one of the best ways to look at the term lost is the people that Jesus misses most. Those are the people that he longs to come into the fold. And here this picture of of a sheep fold. And these are sheep out there who are lost and lonely and by themselves and going the wrong way and what they need is a shepherd he has compassion and his response is he looks at the disciples and says to them look at the harvest out there there are people ready and willing to receive the good news of the kingdom but the workers are few well you talk about two contrasting statements in verse 37 The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Jesus is saying there are people out there who are ready to receive Christ. He says to us, look at your community. Look at your neighborhood. Look at the people you work with. They are ready. The harvest is ready, but the workers are few. So the question is, Lord, we see the need. How do we get involved? I've been preaching on missions for over 20 years, and I've ended just about every sermon on missions involvement with three things that we can do. 
And I made those three things my outline today. I thought I'd give you a break. If you haven't been here, we've been filling out blanks and doing three-page outlines for a couple of months now, so i just give you a break today, all right? Three simple things to remember. Here's how we get involved. Number one, we can give. We can give. Because the need is there, and the resources need to be applied to meet the need. Hold that place in Matthew and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll pick up in verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing them about giving. He's writing them about giving to meet the needs of another co- other congregations in, in Judea. These churches where Paul has planted church, these places where Paul has planted churches, he's sharing about them. He says to them, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. Now, those churches of Macedonia, Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, Paul had gone and, and as a pioneer missionary had established a work in those places. And he knows those people, and he uses those people as an example to the church at Corinth. He says, I want you to know about the grace that God granted to those churches in Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. Think about that one. Look, that's a mouthful. Severe testing and affliction. Those churches in Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi, those churches had struggled so much. Believers there were being persecuted for their faith. In addition to their, their, their faith, they were going through difficult times and people having a hard time making ends meet. The Bible speaks of their poverty, deep poverty. But look at the, the contrast in there. Their abundance of joy overflowing with wealth of generosity. Affliction, deep poverty, doesn't usually go with abundance of generosity and joy. But that's the churches that Paul is using as an example when we give. He says, in essence, to the church at Corinth, look at their example. Give like they gave. Give like they gave, generously, willingly. Someone this morning was telling me about an, an offering that they'd made to help with our angel tree ministry as we buy Christmas gifts for the children of people who are incarcerated. And this person said, I gave willingly. And I thought that's the way to give. Willingly, generously, willingly. When we think about missions, this time of year, every December, we set aside to emphasize what we call the Lottie Moon Offering for International Missions. Lottie Moon was a Southern Baptist missionary who gave her life in ministry in China. When no one else was willing to support, she raised the standard and said, we need to support our missionaries. So we've named that offering after her. For the first time the last few years, for the first time since I've been a pastor, the call is not, we need more people to, to respond to the call, but we, we are now saying, we have people waiting in line to go. Now the need is so great, we're asking churches to step up in their giving because there are people waiting to go to the foreign mission field, but the funds aren't completely there. Never before in history has it been like this. You know what? I I think this is so cool because God has answered the prayer of Matthew chapter 9. 
The people of God have been praying that God would raise up laborers to go into the harvest field. And finally, those laborers are stepping up. Young people by the thousands are stepping out of college or starting college and saying they want to take a year as a journeyman and, and go overseas to be a missionary. Thousands are saying, I'm ready to go, I'm willing. It's up to us to, to give to support them. Our president of our International Mission Board, Tom Ellis, said this. What do you think about the need to give? He said, no longer can this be your average give a few bucks on Sunday morning kind of giving. He said, this is giving your everything, your all. No longer a put a few dollars in the offering envelope for missions. No longer put a few bucks in. This is saying we've got to be committed in such a way that we give above and beyond. And, and as the Bible says of the church there, the churches in Macedonia, that they gave, they pleaded with the privilege to be able to give. And it says rich generosity is the phrase that's used in chapter 8. Look at verse 3. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. You know what you have here? You have churches full of people who had lost their jobs, whose families were struggling, and they were begging Paul and the other, the other uh, church leaders to take more. Please, we want to give more to that offering. We, wanna, we want the opportunity to be more generous than we've ever been before, beyond their ability. Have you ever given that way? Have you ever sacrificed in your giving to say, I want to give beyond my ability? It's Christmas. What do we do at Christmas? We give presents to one another. What's Christmas all about? It's the birthday of Jesus, the celebration of the birth of the Messiah. And in essence, what we do every year is we throw this big birthday party, and the guest of honor is the Lord Jesus himself, and we give each other gifts. Is there not something wrong with that picture? So, Pastor, I, I know this is what we've always done, and we, we try to communicate generosity to our kids that way, but, but how in the world could I give a gift to Jesus on his birthday? I'm so glad you asked. What, what better way, and I believe this, to, to say, Lord Jesus, here's a, here's a gift for you on your birthday than to invest in missions, than to say, I'm going to take that offering envelope. There's some out there on the table, and they say totally his, heart, hands, voice, Lottie Moon Christmas offering. I'm gonna say, Lord Jesus, this year, my gift to you is going in that envelope. And instead of under the tree for you to open on Christmas morning, it's gonna go in the offering box so that the kingdom can be furthered. We can give. Every penny that we give in this Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes right to our foreign missionaries to support them. It's an investment in eternity. What's your biggest gift going to be this year? Wouldn't it be cool if the biggest gift you gave was to the Lord? I know some people that do that every year. They make Christmas about missions and make that their gift. Number one, we can give. Second thing we can do, how do we be involved? How do we become involved? We can pray. We can pray. Again, in Matthew 9, here's what Jesus says. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Now, I've already told you God has answered that prayer. We need to keep praying that he'd send out more, but the ones he sent out, we need to pray for them. 
There's a prayer guide that's out there also. You can pray for the next eight, eight days or so for those missionaries who are on the field. You can pray that God would continue to raise people up and send them out. And you can pray for the lost who are there to hear the message. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 now. Verse 3. And I want you to get the principle here of how prayer impacts. For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way. In other words, though we're, we're living in the flesh, that's not the way we wage spiritual battles. We don't wage war that way. Since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, I know that that's a prayer that, that I need to capture my heart and my thought life to the glory of God, but the bigger picture here is there are hearts that have been captured by the enemy and they live in darkness. And one of the things we pray is that God would tear down those strongholds, that God would open those eyes. Our International Mission Board has identified 3,800 unengaged, unreached people's groups. There is no strategy to reach those people's groups. For years we said we need to send missionaries to China and India and Africa. And now we've realized that we have missionaries there. But in those nations there are pockets of people with language and culture and differences that don't fit the big picture. And there's nobody taking the gospel to that group. And so our mission board has identified those unreached people groups. They're unengaged and there's no witness, gospel witness to those groups. And so people are praying all over our convention that God would put the gospel into those unreached people's groups. I want you to watch this one little video clip with me about how one church began to pray for those unengaged, unreached people's groups and watch what God did in answer to their prayer. Journal entry, December 16, 2006. Have been praying and seeking God's direction on UUPG for our church to adopt. Am sensing the Badia people of South Asia. They are Hindu primarily. No one is seeking to plant a church among the Badia people. Would God have First Baptist Centerton to reach them? We had no idea when we adopted that a people group called the Badia, what it means to adopt an unreached, unengaged people group. We just made a commitment that that would be one people group in this earth that would be loved and prayed for by First Baptist Centerton. I know we pray for them, people, that they would get saved. There was a time when, is this really going to happen? I really felt like there's nothing else I can do. Had been no believers yet, uh, no baptisms. We, heard, we had heard of one believer, and because of the threat of persecution, he even backed out. There were some things happening that almost caused me to say, we're not doing this. But you don't adopt somebody and then unadopt them. You adopt them till it's complete. March 13, 2012, what a time we had in South Asia. Unbelievable, like walking in the book of Acts. We met 
the first baby of baptized since we began to pray five years ago, March of 2007. We saw his brother baptized. We saw his best friend baptized. We met his older brother who will pastor the first Badia church in their village. The Badia Christians have been spreading the gospel to neighboring villages. Uh, none of our IMB personnel knew that it had spread so fast or so far. That was an incredible time because we were so overwhelmed that it had happened. And it was different than any way we'd ever planned. You did not stop. There, after prayer, you took action. After the visit of your church team, I am discipling him to become a leader of Lydia. Tell me, church, what does this do to you? I want to hear from you. How many years did we pray? We didn't know what was happening. But God was ahead of us. So we have adopted them in our classroom and have begun praying for them. I don't have to have a passport to be part of this. I think we forget how powerful prayer is. That there's a reason why these are the last unreached, unengaged people groups. And I don't want our church to think that the journey is over for us. It's not. Wouldn't we expect his praise and his power to see the Badia around the throne of Christ one day? God responds to the prayers of his people. We can pray. The third thing we can do to be involved is we can go. We can give generously, sacrificially, willingly, joyfully. We can pray consistently, persistently, and we can go. Dallas Home recorded a song years ago called Jesus Saves, and I love one of the phrases in the song. He says, untold millions remain untold. People hungry for the bread that feeds the soul. Multitudes unheard of have yet to hear. We must go, we must preach, we must make the message clear that Jesus saves. Untold millions remain untold. Multitudes unheard of have yet to hear. The Bible's clear. How can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless somebody proclaims? And how can somebody proclaim unless they're sent? We can go. Back in 2 Corinthians, in the description in chapter 8 of the giving of the churches in Macedonia, we stop short of verse 5 on purpose. Look at verse 5 with me. As it describes their generous giving, it says, And, not just as we had hoped, Instead, they gave themselves, especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. Some translations say they gave themselves first. Listen, when God has you, he has what's yours. You wonder why you're hesitant to give to missions, why you cringe when the pastor talks about the opportunities to give. Maybe the Lord doesn't have your whole heart. We give ourselves first. We can go. Jeannie Ellif tells the story about her, I think it was her home church growing up. They had an offering envelope much like this one. I'm sure the, it said Lottie Moon Christmas offering on it, I'm sure, but the theme was different years ago. And the people who showed up at church Sunday afternoon to count the money to, 
to make the deposit, opened up one of the envelopes, and there wasn't anything in there. And good uh, tellers, I'm sure, they looked in there really carefully, and they saw something written in there. They peeled open the offering envelope, and there was a name of a couple on there. And they went to them and said, what does this mean? They said, I think you know what it means. It means we're giving ourselves to the cause of missions. There's a couple that said, we're ready to go. I don't advocate everybody doing that, but wouldn't that be neat? If we could say, Lord, I'm writing my name in there. In essence, you're saying, God, I'll go wherever, whenever, however, I'm available. Whether it's short term, for a week, 10 days, 14 days, a month, six months, whether it's to be a career missionary, would you just be willing to say, God, I'm available to go? I'm so thankful that so many people in this congregation have been able to connect with short-term mission trips, and we have people on the field, the Kennedys are in Thailand, and Cindy Campbell is in Thailand, and there's some people in our congregation that said, we'll go, we'll stay. The Hammets right now are in seminary training to go. Is God calling you to go? I want us to close with another video clip. Listen to this challenge. There are times when I wake up in the middle of the night just disturbed, sometimes crying about the lostness of this world. Almost one billion of this world's seven billion people are very likely to die without ever hearing the gospel in such a fashion that they can comprehend it and then respond to it. picture is of, of, a, of a blind person walking along and asking for help and someone has taken them by the hand and they fully suspect that they're taking them to safety but instead they're taking them to death. Billions of people who apart from Jesus Christ will be alive a million billion years from now in the darkness. The world has a need for the gospel. And we are not doing what we can. In light of the world's greatest lostness, in light of the moment when we could get the gospel into the hearts and hands of people more easily than any other time in this earth, we are backing up. What a tragedy if what, if what happened next would be that God would call us home and then ask us, what did you do? What did you do? with what I gave you. The problem, folks, is that we don't understand lostness. And at stake are the lives of billions of people. My prayer is that it would be said that there never had been a greater hour for missions. That there had never been a greater time. That we were those Oh, hold them back. And we said, yes, we're coming.
And every person in this world ought to have a legitimate reason to believe that if they can just hang on a little longer, we will get there with the word. I pray you will join with me in one sacred effort to fulfill the Great Commission. One of our mission leaders said, the good news isn't good news if it doesn't get there in time. This could be our greatest hour for missions. Would you pray with me?